Hello, and welcome to Scania Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what is just clickbait headlines. I am Andre Krenkov, a third-year PhD student at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab and the host of this episode. On this interview episode, you'll get to hear from Emil Wallner, an internet-educated independent machine learning researcher and a resident at the Google Arts and Culture Lab. As a resident at Google, he is using machine learning to explore art and culture. And part-time, he applies machine learning to logical tasks such as programming and mathematics. Thank you so much, Emil, for making the time to be on this episode. Cool, yeah, thank you, and thank you for reminding me. Uh, I'm excited to have you. So uh, just to get going, uh, kind of an inciting incident for why we wanted to have you on is that you created this project, mlart.co, which is a showcase with creative machine learning experiments. Uh, so maybe you can just give us a quick overview of what this project is and kind of what motivated you to create it. Yeah, no, so it started out as a research project. I was doing research to figure out what to do next. And I thought I had a pretty good overview of what the kind of creative machine learning scene was. Uh, but I started making this list in a Google Sheet. And after I reached a couple of hundred projects, I realized, wow, I only knew about maybe 10 or 20% of what people are doing. And then I realized that, hey, this might be useful for other people. So... Uh, then I decided to turn it to a website. So I started Googling no-code websites because uh, I didn't want to spend too much time developing the actual software. And I found a website where I can basically take a spreadsheet and turn it into a website. Uh, and that's when I thought that it was uh, very useful because you can get a visual over overview and also the descriptions. And since I had all these categories and everything, it was fairly easy to navigate from, from the start. Fantastic. Yeah. So uh, listeners, uh, while you listen, if you have a moment, you can actually go and visit mlart.co and see it for yourselves. It's basically a big curation of various ways in which people have used AI, let's say for creative purposes, often art, and you can see sort of a grid of different things people have done. So I'm curious, when you got started, um, what sort of things did you discover that were new to you? And what sort of things would, do you expect and sort of already familiar with? Uh, so I think the new things that I saw were, I mean, in general, a lot of the kind of the key categories I was familiar to, but there was a lot of projects within these categories and also a lot of different technologies that I weren't aware of. Uh, so, for example, Rafinik uh, Anadol, he has these very lovely animations. But first, I didn't really know what kind of what's going on down under the hood. But most of it is based on using uh, GANs to produce uh, interpolations of different data sets. And then he uses 3D animation software such as Houdini to kind of create these very lovely visualizations that you can project on buildings in high quality. Um, there were other projects that, for example, with uh, Irvin Dressian and Maria Barsbanen, who uses facial, face recognition on uh, pieces of sand grains. So they have a robot arm that takes different pieces of sands, look at it, and, and takes a picture. And if it recognizes a face, it kind of adds it to the collection. So they have these weird looking people that are made out of sand randomly, which I thought was very lovely. And another project that I, I didn't know about and kind of a niche is also different kind of robots. Uh, so 
Juzilu has a robot that takes uh, a picture, so it's an image to text model, so it translates CNN features to RNN features, and it lives on a beach. So it's kind of looking at the ocean and the beach, and then it's translating these images into text. And then inside this little robot, it has a pencil that draws these kind of poems on the sand, and then it just moves along. I thought that was very poetic and beautiful. Definitely. Yeah. And I think the website has what, like hundreds of these unique examples where each one is uh, very different. And it's very interesting to see how many unique things there are. Um, having created the spreadsheet and this website, I'm curious, do you have some sort of high level categorization of all of these? Are there any sort of like you know, three, four, five discrete types of ways in which people use AI for art or creativity? Uh, I would say that kind of a lot of the art disciplines that we have kind of normally have an equivalent in machine learning. And I think like the, the most basic ones are vision, language, audio, motion, UI, and tools. Uh, so if you look at Vision, which is the most popular one at the moment, you see StyleGun, Gantz, and First Order Motion. Those are kind of the three categories that are kind of most popular at the moment. Uh, and then you have all, a lot of small subcategories within Vision. And within language, uh, we see a lot of GPT-2 and 3 uh, from uh, OpenAI. And still a lot of LSTMs are used. You can, if you look at kind of the trace, what's nice, there's about 370 projects on the site. And you can ca categorize by when they were created. And if you sort them, you can see that in, in the early days, it was more Marco chains, LSTMs, and then you can kind of see the quality improve uh, over time. And if you look at uh, sound, uh, it's not as popular as vision. So we don't have kind of the gun moment in sound yet, which I'm still hoping for. So what we could see with the vision is that it, it's really developed a new aesthetic and a lot of new things that didn't exist before, before, before machine learning kind of entered the art scene, uh, in sound, there are examples. For example, the latest one Google developed is called DDSP, uh, differentiable digital signal processing. Um, and that's when you can kind of translate dog sound to a trumpet. Uh, and I think that has a lot of potential to create new sounds, just like Gans created new aesthetics. Um, and I think also WaveNet and variational autocoders in terms of sound synthesizing has potential, although we haven't really seen that taken off yet. On the other side, there's kind of sound is uh, split in two. I would say there's one, the act of creating a sound itself. And the other one is organizing the song. So that could be melodies. And often these melodies are constructed in MIDI files. Uh, so these are often constructed with uh, language models such as LSDMs. But I think they're also, um, sometimes it can be hard to really understand what's novel within these, uh, these songs. You need a very deep understanding of music to really appreciate um, what's going on there. And I think in motion, the most popular one right now is uh, PostNet. Uh, so we see a lot of fun, fun things with, within dance. 
So Maya Mann has made a lot of these really fun experiments where she dances in front of the camera and then you have words popping up uh, and she creates uh, poems with it and, and all sorts of fun things. And then when it comes to web experience and user interfaces, uh, early on, say five, six years ago, UMAPs were super popular. So taking a lot of high dimensional data and making it accessible to a lot of people. And now kind of what we're seeing more and more is a lot of APIs and especially tools like Runaway ML are, because they expose these different models and people can play with them, uh, we see a lot of creativity in terms of user experiences. Uh, another example of those is BaseNet. Uh, Cyril uh, Dijon at the, at the lab as well, at the Google Arts and Culture Lab. Uh, he made recently an app where he kind of drags and drop anything. So you can take a picture of, say, a tree and it just extracts the tree. And then you can just drop that on the screen. Um, so things like that are becoming more and more popular. And in terms of, I think, physical tools, we see a lot of um, kind of automated classifiers that do a lot of fun things. Uh, so a basic example is that you sit down and you press a button, it takes a hundred photos, you stand up, it takes a hundred photos, and then it automatically creates a classifier. And then you can do turn off lights or create games with these uh, automated uh, devices. Yeah, as you say, uh, it's interesting how nascent a lot of these applications are and how the whole thing is quite emerging. and really only maybe visual art and GANs have evolved quite a bit already. And it's interesting to see their progress over the last few years. So I'm curious, having put together the spreadsheet and this website, has your view of this intersection of machine learning and art changed at all? Did you learn anything new from uh, this project? So I think the first thing I realized is that there were so many things that I weren't aware of and kind of getting to know them and digging into the details, I'm able to create a vocabulary so I can kind of use everything that I see and learn and apply to new projects. Um, and the reason why I find creative applications very useful is that you can actually see that it works in practice. Often papers can be overfit on a small data set. So it's very hard to understand if it's really working or not. But as soon as you see other people using these models and are creating creative applications, you can at least know there's some um, good technology that you can apply to other problems. I think another thing that I, that I realized just looking at a lot of projects is that they can often be very hard to understand. Uh, I think that's a mix of kind of the art language and a technical language. And once you mix them, they can both be confusing. Um, but oftentimes these projects are very interesting, but you have to spend sometimes 20, 30 minutes or several hours just to understand one project. Um, so I think in general, like a, a quick feedback to people doing these projects, when I, when I learn about a project, I first want to understand what's going on, maybe in like one or two lines so that you can have a feel for what the technology is and, and what you hope to achieve. And then you can add more context in terms of creative applications or a narrative uh, and technology to, to kind of add more context. 
That's very interesting. And yeah, I've definitely been kind of trying to keep up with artistic applications of art and often it's sort of a homebrewed method, I guess, is what it sounds like. And so it's kind of hard to figure out how they do it and it looks amazing. So it's super cool to have a compilation and to be able to sort of browse the vocabulary, as you say. I'm curious, uh, in putting this together, have you interacted at all more with the community of people doing these sort of works? Have they kind of liked the project? Did they comment that it's great to have a sort of thing? Or maybe did other people comment, stuff like that? Yeah, no, so I, in this process, I, I uh, reached out to all the artists uh, that I put on the site and, and I had a very warm response. And I think it was some, I think it was a problem that most people didn't really know they had until they saw the website. Uh, I think the NeuroIPS uh, creative uh, workshop every year kind of makes a very good summary of projects. Uh, but there's not a kind of a bigger context in terms of kind of the past 10, 20 years. Uh, and it can also be hard to, to find specific projects. I think that's also one of the problems I had. I was like, it was this lovely idea and project, but I can't remember what it was and I can't really rem know or kind of remember what to Google for. Uh, but once you have the site and you have the categories, uh, it's a lot easier to find these kind of gems that you've forgotten about. Exactly. Yeah. It's, and just for myself, uh, I appreciate a lot of this creativity. So being able to browse and see many that I haven't come across, because sometimes they're quite niche, it helps a lot, as you say. Um, I'm curious, wait, sorry, I, I forgot my question. Let me, uh, oh yes. I'm curious, uh, actually, do you have any favorite things from the site? Maybe like a few things that really stand out in your memory as being very cool or very unexpected? Uh, so I think uh, there's, uh, I love a lot of art and creativity. So, but if I had to choose a few of them, I would say that one trend I find really fascinating is uh, synthetic statistics. Uh, so Terence Broad made an art project where he created a gun without using any data. Uh, so he just kind of had an heuristic for how the generator and discriminator work together. And he created this kind of visual art out of it. Uh, and I think that's very interesting in a lot of, lot of different ways. One is the kind of idea of vision from, from first principles, uh, because kind of the world we're in was created from a certain statistic, but I think it's interesting to kind of entertain the idea is that if you can, can create a new uh, visual statistic from scratch, what can they look like and will they be different from kind of what we're experiencing right now? And that cannot only be applied in vision, but you can create similar experiences in uh, say language or audio. Uh, I know you will Simon, uh, who, who runs Art Reader? Uh, he also made uh, an interesting project where he he invented a, la a visual language. Uh, so it was essentially a, a variational autoencoder, uh, and then in the middle it had a uh, visual element so it could visualize the communication between two models. 
Um, I think another area I'm very interested in is the Stellar Automata. So Alexander Mordvinston, uh, who created Deep Ream, which I also find very fascinating, but his latest project is uh, based on Stellar Automata. Uh, so this is, if you're not familiar to Stellar Automata, you can think of Game of Life. Uh, you have these kind of rule systems that create these very lovely and complex patterns. And Alexander has applied this idea to uh, CNN and gradient-based approaches, and you end up with this kind of cell-like design so that you can remove a piece of the design and artwork and it reconstruct itself. And I think this idea of reconstruction and kind of organism-like uh, design is, is very interesting and appealing. And I think the last area broadly that I'm interested in is uh, restoration. So I think, uh, well, most recently you have the art breeder projects where you translate, uh, so art breeders kind of based on two things. You can uh, create things with guns, but you can also reverse them. So you, you can take a picture and turn them into the latent vectors. And what we've seen people done recently is that they take, for example, a picture of the Statue of Liberty and they convert that to the latent vectors. And then they find the latent vectors that correspond to reality. And then they change them and then reproduce it. And then you kind of have a real world looking person uh, for the Statue of Liberty. Um, and also in kind of terms of restoration, I think there's still so many things uh, that, that are in our past that we can access now, just like the Statue of Liberty, there are other statues and there are other artifacts uh, Jason Antic, who made the deoldify to colorize pictures. Uh, and I think there's a lot of similar tools that are kind of taking our rich cultural history and making it accessible and interesting for today's audience. Uh, and I think that's very important. Very cool. Yeah. Just browsing uh, the website uh, before this, it was there's just so many cool ones. So I'm thankful you could pick out a few <laughs> to highlight. Uh, I'm curious, having uh, gone through this and probably discovered a lot of new kind of forms of things, has that informed the work you're doing as a resident at Google, uh, at the Google Arts and Culture Lab? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's uh, for sure. Uh, I mean, we're doing, uh, I think our lab, uh, we ideate maybe 20 or 30 projects per year and, and we, we publish a lot of projects. And in all of those discussions, you want references to other projects. Uh, and I think one, I kind of create a vocabulary, but also a lot of people are submitting projects. So I think over the, the past few weeks, I have about 150 submissions. So I get to see what everyone is creating. And uh, I think if, you, if you're a lab and if you want to be at the kind of cutting edge of things, you really need to know what everyone else is doing. Makes a lot of sense. And actually, I personally am not too aware of a Google Arts and Culture Lab, and I'm not sure if our listeners are. So maybe you can give us a bit of an overview of what does the lab do? What kind of projects does it yeah, sure. uh, work on? Uh, so the main kind of goal of, of the Google Arts and Culture organization is to make art and culture more interesting and relatable to the main audience. And the Google Arts and Culture Lab were more focused on the kind of technological aspect of this area. So I think the most famous uh, project uh, is Art Selfie, uh, 
which is you take a picture of yourself and because Google Arts and Culture has uh, a database of several hundred thousand paintings, it can match the painting that looks most similar to that person. And this went super viral a couple of years back. Uh, we do a lot of collaborations with Magenta. So working with a lot of their kind of the latest research and understanding how we can kind of get these uh, create interfaces, interact with these models and understand uh, how the general public can benefit from these, these different uh, innovations. Um, I think early on, so it's been about five years that the labs existed. Early on, it was a lot about uh, using UMAPs and uh, testing maps to visualize data uh, and make that more accessible. So we're working also with a lot of museums um, and uh, Google also has an arm where they help uh, archive uh, information. So they can go to a museum and they can archive several hundred million images. Um, and then they kind of want to get an overview, the museum and the researcher in the museums want to get an overview of what they have in their data sets. So we can kind of automate that and make that information accessible to researchers. Very cool. Yeah. And, um, you mentioned, uh, the lab has been around for five years and that makes me wonder actually having put together this site and you mentioned how it's in a way almost sort of cataloging a history of how AI has been evolving and its applications to creative purposes. Do you think things are accelerating? Are we getting more and more sort of people playing with the technology of AI to make art, uh, over the years, or is it pretty steady? I think we, uh, if you look at the timeline, there's kind of a huge explosion around 2015. Uh, and I think that's a combination. One, you have technologies that are good enough that produce interesting new areas to explore. Uh, and I think on the other hand, it's a lot more accessible. I remember a couple of years back when just to create a cloud instance and, and use a GPU, you to take several days, but now you can just click on a button and access a model. Um, and I think also the, the kind of the creative community is always looking for new tools and, and ways to express themselves. And I think we're just at this edge where, uh, kind of AI is coming in into the, mainstream uh, kind of narrative. Uh, so a lot of creatives want to use this tool in this form of narrative, uh, and you have the technological side. And I think this is really, really making machine learning art, something that's exploding at the moment. That's great. Yeah. And it's very cool to see it happening almost in real time. Um, I, on that note of accessibility, I'm curious, kind of on the backgrounds of the artists and creatives on the site, is it still mostly people who can do coding as well as art, or is, has it gotten to be enough uh, accessible that artists that maybe aren't technical, that don't do programming, are able to also incorporate it, or is that just starting to happen maybe? I think it's... It used to be a lot more technical. I would say probably before 2015, definitely it was a lot more technical. And now you have things as what I mentioned earlier, runaway ML, that is, is kind of a web browser with different models. And it has a visual interface that you can use uh, to use these different models. 
So I think in terms of the popular approaches such as style gun or, or different gun variations, there are easy ways to access them. Uh, but I think a lot of the interesting work uh, still comes from kind of the bleeding edge of machine learning. And then you need to be able to work with models in a way that most people can't. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and it's also sort of what seems to be the case for me. Um, but you mentioned runway ML and maybe for the benefit of our listeners, let's say they go to the site and they like some of the GAN style um, art where you can, you know, do style transfer, you can do deep dream, you can do various effects. Uh, would you say for these listeners that maybe aren't too familiar with coding, they can go ahead and try and use um, sort of the materials on your site and then start playing around and creating their own versions? Uh, would that be kind of doable? Yeah, no, I, th I think that's how I started when I lear started learning uh, machine learning. I, I started with colorization. And one reason for that is that it's kind of, it's visual, it's playful. Uh, and I think that's a great way to get into the kind of machine learning scene. Uh, and the, the website is created so that I've categorized everything. So as soon as you see something that's interesting, you should be able to kind of take the keywords and the models and Google them. And then if you find a, a collab or a notebook, Often you can click on them and you will be able, it will, might be a little bit hard if you're not technical, but oftentimes if you spend maybe 30 minutes or an hour, you can understand how to use these models uh, and create different uh, artworks or projects. That's great. Yeah. So listeners, if you check out the site and see something cool, you know, feel free to try and play around. It's actually not that hard. Usually there's instructions and you can just copy paste, which is what AI researchers do anyway, a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm curious, any next steps as far as this project? Are you maintaining it? Is it actually growing pretty quickly with the number of submissions? Yeah, no, so it's, it's, uh, I only launched it a couple of weeks back and it's, I'm still getting a lot of submissions and yeah, no, the goal is to kind of every month do a, a deeper review to kind of understand what people are doing and, and add uh, projects to the site. And then I have a newsletter where kind of I send out to, to highlight a few of the projects so people can, can uh, stay up to date with what was going on. Oh, I see. And that newsletter, uh, people can sign up for it on the site, presumably. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. So I'll have to go ahead and sign up myself because, uh, getting the latest and greatest certainly sounds fun. Um, yeah, I think we covered a lot of cool stuff related to this project. Last question I typically go with is kind of open-ended. Do you have any other thoughts that's been on your mind with respect to AI and art and creativity, uh, that you've been mulling over and kind of would like to share with our listeners? Well, I, I think uh, what's interesting is kind of the, the the clash between the AI art community and also the general art community. Uh, and I think there you see kind of people that don't know technology. It's easy to anthropomorphize. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard word. <laughs> Yeah, it's so long. I wish there was a, was a better word for that because it's it's such a 
typical kind it's of such a useful word for AI. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's such a useful word. Uh, but so people kind of attribute human characteristics uh, to these different models and things they don't understand. Uh, and I think one that's kind of part of kind of the, the ma- technology's magic narrative. But I think in a lot of aspects, it can be dangerous and create uh, harm. And I think one area where you can create com- confusion is that people think that these can replace jobs in, in a fairly short amount of time. So there's a lot of projects coming out with guns and videos and kind of the people in the cinema scene are, are getting worried. You see authors getting worried because of uh, the work that OpenAI is doing. Um, so I think it's, it's, there's still a lot of work that has to be done there to kind of help the, the broader audience understand how good are these, what can they do, and kind of have a more honest uh, narrative around these technologies. Absolutely. And the site has some interesting examples. I particularly like the music album by the band Yacht, where they were a normal band, right? That didn't use much AI, but then they actually incorporated it into their creative process. And it would be, it's very cool to highlight the ways in which artists can use AI rather than be replaced by it. Um, hopefully others will see it uh, like that. And I think, I think that's something that I've been seeing a lot too, is that you have people who are really good at something for this, this case, it was music. And then you find people in machine learning and you collaborate. Uh, so I think that's what we're seeing a lot is that people who are cutting edge and say motion graphics or 3d animations, they work with someone who's really good at machine learning and then together they can create something that's never been seen before. Fantastic. So on that note, I think we are going to go ahead and wrap up. Thank you again, Emil, for joining us on this episode. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you so much, listeners, for listening to this interview on this episode of Scanning Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find articles on similar topics to today's, including art, on the website and subscribe to our weekly newsletter over at scanningtoday.com. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and do please leave us a rating or a review. If you like the show, we could use your feedback. Be sure to tune in to our future episodes.